welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our eighth episode, I'll be talking to Catherine Van Arendonk, TV reviewer for Vulture.com and co-host of the Appointment Television podcast about serialized television. Along the way, we'll talk about how deprivation can lead to critical thought, how pregnancies ruined everything on Full House, and yes, we'll talk about Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and tell you how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Catherine, well, for those who may not know you, why don't you tell us who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? <laughs> um, my name is Catherine Van Arendonk. I am a freelance writer. Right now, I write mostly for Vulture.com, which is the pop culture vertical for New York Magazine. Uh, I write about TV. I love TV. I have always loved and will always love TV. And I recap a bunch of shows, and I also write a couple of other pieces a week. I am a co-host of Appointment Television, which is a podcast with people you may have heard of, namely Margaret Willison and Andrew Cunningham. And we talk about all kinds of television, and they like to go off on tangents, and I'm the one on that podcast who's always like, but has anyone seen I Love Lucy lately? That's sort of my job. (laughs) See, I I always (laughs) want to ask that because, I mean, I've heard it said that, you know, any two-person podcast is going to have your good guy and your bad guy, your face and your heel. Mm -hmm. And the minute it's a three-hander like that, I'm like, okay, you're going to have you know the the two the two wacky warner siblings and the one that keeps them on track so i think you've just let me know who who is the yakko and wacko and who is the dot no 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 that definitely depends on the topic because it i mean it truly does because andrew is really good at keeping us like if we're talking about the bachelor there's just absolutely no way that margaret and i are not going to be the two goofs and andrew is the one who sort of comes back in and, and keeps us a little bit more grounded um andrew however is just impressively committed to to the goof as a, an art form so he will he will keep going on something much longer than i would have and often gets to a place that is much funnier than i a well that i would have fallen down on meanwhile i'm like back on the wikipedia page for whatever show we were talking about saying like in episode four blank happens i think you'll find that this producer also worked <laughs> on this other show and there's a lot of interesting similarities it's weirdly comparable it's weirdly comparable, yeah. And meanwhile, Andrew's reading, like, slash fic. Yeah, that's, that's, oh God, that's what, how it usually goes. What was it goes. that you guys were doing where it's like he ended up reading slash fic? What was it? Oh, it was Great British Bake Off. Oh, my God, that, yes. <laughs> that was a moment for everyone. It was Andrew realizing that there would be Great British Bake Off slash fic, starting to 
um, Google it and then finding Paul and Mary Great British Bake Off slash fake and reading it aloud as Margaret and I and you can hear on the podcast Margaret and I just going like no stop please Save yourself. it's too far yeah yes <laughs> so that's that's sort of why, that's how we do on, on appointment television <laughs> wonderful so tell me Catherine where did you grow up I grew up in the totally not fictional Kalamazoo Michigan <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It, it's one of those. It's on the list of inherently funny words. Yeah. No. It's that's fair. I look. I I set it up. I know. Yes. I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And if you could see me right now, I would be holding up a hand, as every single person from Michigan does, to point to you on my hand where the geography of where I'm from, what it looks like, because that is the thing that everyone from Michigan does, particularly if you go to any kind of summer camp and people come from places that are like, I'm more like the pinky and I'm more like the thumb. And then everyone, that's how you tell. <laughs> Anyhow, if you hold up, if you hold up your right hand and you look at your palm, I grew up sort of in that like lower left hand quadrant or left quadrant, that little section that like doesn't have as many lines in it. Yeah. That's uh, that's sort of Kalamazoo. It's a nice place where there actually are a couple of schools. There's a Western Michigan University and Kalamazoo College. And so it is very Midwestern and kind of feels like a small town, but has enough other stuff going on also that it doesn't feel quite like being in the middle of nowhere. Okay, cool. In, in this part of the hand that is mm-hmm. Michigan. Yes. So did you have brothers and sisters? Were you an only child? Oh, no, you do have a sister. I know that. Thanks. I do. Yes. My sister, Laura, she is three and a half years younger than I am. She has a much more serious and important job than I do. She is a, she's a biologist. She's a microbiologist. She works on genetics. She's a postdoc at MIT right now. She's very fancy. Um, And so, and she is absolutely, I mean, she could certainly write as much TV criticism as she feels like she just decided that science was going to be more worthy of her intellect. So that's so, yeah, so when she, the younger sibling goes, oh, I could do that. I just don't want to. Yeah, pretty She much. actually is, yeah. could do that, but does not want to. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She, we're closer now, which is the, like the best thing. She used to live in St. Louis and like I was in California for a while. And so it's really nice that we're a little bit closer geographically now. Oh, that's cool. And I suppose you're close enough in age, but have enough distance that you didn't have that kind of cats and dogs sibling rivalry thing? We did a little bit. I mean, our parents were really careful about shutting that stuff down mm-hmm. and um, trying to make it clear that, you know, she has these interests and you have those interests and, like, you are your own person. I can now, as an adult, admit that I had a slightly dominant personality and that might have been slightly grating. (laughs) But a lot of her interests were overlapping with mine and so we would get moments where it was like, I wanted to read that first. No, I wanted... And so, like, we had to have a lot of double copies of the same thing. (laughs) But, But no, we have always been... Other than a few spats about that sort of thing or um, I've also been told that I'm not particularly pleasant in the morning and so if you say needed to share a bathroom with me that would not have been just a fun situation and I would like to say right now that I'm very sorry Laura I'm very sorry (laughs) see I thought for a second when you said you were a dominant personality and her interests were I was waiting for the lead up to and her interests were just boring so that was probably for the best (laughs) 
no, 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 no. I have a family of my husband is a scientist. Laura is a scientist. Um, my father is like, I under like that is fascinating and important. And I am lucky to feel minorly conversant in what they do. Um, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> Apart from being the dominant sister, what sort of kid were you? I was a I was a nerd. I I was a nerd. <laughs> I I had giant, really giant glasses. That is like a crucial element of my early self identity. I don't wear glasses now. I wear contacts, but it is still like it is so much so that every time I make an avatar for something, like I put glasses on myself. Like that it is just the it is the image of who I am that I have really huge glasses because I got them really young and I'm I'm unusually blind for an otherwise mostly functional human and so something about that and the fact that I was just reading constantly really put that into sort of who my image of who I am yeah super nerd giant glasses reading constantly got in trouble because I wasn't doing math homework and instead was reading like in the middle of what I was supposed to be a quiz that that sort of thing see Um, I always thought that was a that was something that they only gave to precocious children on television shows that they were too busy reading and this this school being like no you shouldn't be reading you should be reading this other stuff (laughs) yeah no that that actually happened to me that was in seventh grade I I vividly remember reading something and looking up and realizing that everyone else was taking a quiz and being like oh crap I really I see this quiz sitting in front of me on this desk um no that that happened to me I also remember in fifth grade the librarian in my elementary school gave me a pass to the library no it was sixth grade so my middle school library she gave me a pass and like what that meant was that I could actually leave a class if I was okay with my teacher and just go to the library whenever I wanted um and that was that was pretty magical sounds like you're living that was living the dream oh my god yes that was that was just it was laminated it was laminated it was the it was the best thing it was the best it was the best thing in my young life because i i also you know i had friends but i didn't have tons of friends i wasn't like i was never the social butterfly so it was always just a huge re- it still as an adult feels like a huge relief to just walk into libraries it's like oh thank god <laughs> i understand it's your sanctum sanctorum yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that was me as a kid. I was going to say, that you reminded me of when you said you were reading in class. I remember I, I moved schools at one point midway through a year and was at a, was in a math class that had the same math book, but were on a different part. Mm. And I was able to bluff that we had already done that chapter. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to listen. And so I would just like sneak a paperback in, into class, like mm. put it just below the rim of my desk yep. and basically read quietly. But the problem is that worked too well. And I did that for far further along than I had actually learned in the in the yeah. chapter. So yes. when the next chapter started, I didn't have the fundamentals, and I was completely I, lost. I had no idea. Yeah, no, that was basically my life in a lot of math classes. It was my life at home, too. I was, like, I was supposed to be doing my homework, and my mom would come in. And it was the exact classic thing you can picture with, like, a giant textbook on my lap that your parent could see. And then, like, behind the textbook is, like, the paperback you're actually reading. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you're living the cliche now instead of the dream. 
No, no, no. That was that was it. That was absolutely so, it. So what were you reading mostly? I read I read a lot of stuff. I read stuff that now could be considered like, oh, fancy, like, I don't know, Dickens and stuff. But I was mostly reading Star Wars novelizations. <laughs> Excellent. And like, <laughs> I have always loved fantasy novels. I read a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, I was reading Philip Pullman and I was reading Harry Potter and I was reading, I like mysteries. I, I have... I, got into like you know Agatha Christie novels I would probably be reading at any given point I also later in high school had a job I was a library page which went you know was bookshelving so that obviously was super productive for me and a lot of books were (laughs) shelved but they also had oh god I feel kind of bad about this looking back but they had a donation bin for the Uh library book sale uh-oh. And like nobody, and one of my jobs was to sort through it, and so so some of the books oh, no. never never made it to the sale. Yeah. Oh, oh, Catherine. I know, I know. I'm just picturing you like the sheriff of Nottingham, like <laughs> stealing was, from the poor box. I know. I feel. I feel. I said. I feel bad about it. Like I, most of them, I I just read and like put back. And and look, like I I was in a light slightly. No, I was paid fine. I, I have no excuse. There's. Yeah, no <laughs> See, I was gonna. I was just talking with Craig, and we were talking about art so good that it makes you want to steal it. And mm-hmm. I have a very specific story about stealing a paperback, a battered paperback copy of Ender's Game. Oh gosh. In grade ten, yes. Who had the the book of, of paperbacks? She's like, you just take whatever you want and bring it back when you're done. And I <gasps> never brought it back and read that book <sighs> like fifteen times. Heck yes, that was one of the one that definitely I have. I'm sure an identical battered paperback copy of Ender's Game. Dune was another one. Um, a lot of Terry Pratchett novels. You know that that was my jam. Yes, you're also on the committee of the uh, board to get <laughs> Margaret H. Willison to read yeah. Discworld. My God, we need some kind of committee meeting because I feel like we haven't done a lot of... We need outreach and t-shirts, and I I think we could be pushing this cause forward more than we are. Uh, I may have mailed her an old... Is it Josh Kirby? I think, yeah, the Josh Kirby covered Guards, Guards. I found one in a secondhand store for $5, and I may have mailed it to her. Oh, well, now it's just locking her in a room with nothing else, right? That can't be that hard. Because, of course, Margaret has nothing else to do with her time. I know. <laughs> She's not the busiest person I know. <laughs> yeah. Look, someday, someday I will someday. get her into my house and I will just close her into the basement and then she'll no, have no choice. Look. <laughs> I'll see you in five hours. Speaking of which, um, I've been slowly collecting the really fantastic uh, library editions of all the Discworld books, the hardcovers. Ugh. Nice. Beautiful. Um, Because when I split with my ex, this sounds so terrible, she got the Discworld books in the divorce. (gasps) Um, I I kept the Sandman comics and the Neil Gaiman books, and she kept the Discworld books. Oh, what a choice. Yep. I I also got Fables, and she got uh, Bone, the comic series Bone. Yeah. Which is lovely. Um, So I I said if I'm going, because I had them all digitally as well. And I thought, okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna rebuy the Terry Pratchett novels, yeah. I'm gonna buy them in these amazing the, like, editions. The, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. What a tragic, tragic <laughs> split that sounds like. Yep. No, I, I totally, I totally know how that is because. So I have been with my husband for a very long time, and we we were dating when when we were really young, and I at some point didn't. I stopped giving him 
books I already had because I mm -hmm. knew that at some point they would just be in the same place and so that it would be dumb to have doubles and like that that was basically what the path to marriage looked like for me but, but how, how could you have that wonderful you know O. Henry moment where you each gave each other the same book for Christmas <laughs> we did, we I mean we there were a couple of books that we both had in common there were a couple but I but I look I was right like they've the <laughs> books have been on the shelf together now for quite a while so <laughs> your master plan succeeded that's right talking about book series and we briefly talked on TV series that segues nicely into what you want to talk about so you want to talk about serialized television yeah so we've been talking a lot about books in part because I mean it was a huge part of my childhood because it was allowed I mean I was supposed to be doing my math homework most of the time but you know no parent really is going to see their kids reading and be like no stop so I, I read a lot and my parents were pretty good about not being super directive about what I was reading although I'm sure my mom wished that there were fewer Star Wars books but but we were pretty limited about the TV we were allowed to watch we were only allowed to watch once we hit middle school I think we were really only allowed to watch TV Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and sort of limited hours on those days. And they have always been a little bit picky about the kinds of stuff that we were watching. As a parent now, I totally get that. I completely understand that need to say like, no, look, that I don't want that in my house. I don't want that in your brain. I totally get that. It's not that I am blaming what has happened to me as a human on them, because I think it would have happened anyhow. But it meant that the TV I watched as a kid was super selective and that that time became very valuable to me because there wasn't much of it and so you had to pick very carefully what you were going to do and there were some things that are allowed and some things that weren't and that probably probably has fed into a little bit of the fetishization of it for me. Yeah, but. see, that, that's something I completely understand because I think I might have spoken briefly about this with one of my previous guests, but when there's a scarcity yeah. of a type of media, yep. be it books or magazines or TV or something, the level at which you engage with that media yeah. becomes super deep. Like my, super my thing intense. was with either books or magazines, I would get them. And because I didn't know when the next one was coming, I would mm -hmm. read that thing like repeatedly over and over and over again. So if I got like a, a games magazine, I would read every single article multiple times. And like if it was a book, I would read it six times like in a row. Like I would stop yeah. at the end and go back to the beginning Just, and start again. Yeah. Huh. Which book do you remember reading six times in a row? Oh, gosh. There were a few. Um, all, and this is something I talked about with Christina, but all of the Wheel of Time books. Oh, yeah. Specifically the third and fourth ones were my yeah. favorites. Yeah. Uh, the third one, because Matt gets to have his adventures and stuff. And the fourth one, because they go to Ruidian, and that's really cool. Uh, <laughs> but there's lots of good little moments in there. And I would, like, flip through and find my favorite moments and reread those bits and kind of, like, yeah. linger on the language. Yeah. You would have been a, you would have been a good Victorian reader, you know. Um, they they would actually cut out their favorite passages from serial installments of stuff. And so a Victorian scrapbook would have flowers that they had pressed and like clips of people's dead people's hair because they were really into dead people's hair but they would also have <laughs> <laughs> they were but they would also have like actual excerpts of you know the dickens whatever or the gaskell whatever and that that would be sort of what their that would be how they would save things because they would read them over and over again but the paper was cheap and so you the binding was bad and um they would paste them other places so anyhow See, yeah See, I was gonna. I was making a face through that whole thing because I may have at one point put masking tape on my walls so I could transcribe favorite passages from Douglas Adams 
like little bits about the nature of how to fly, which oh is that you throw boy. yourself at the ground and miss, and yeah, like these yep. little things. And I probably thought that made me all whimsical and cool and stuff. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, just, no, 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 no. We yeah. all did it. I had a bulletin board that had like book quotes all over it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there, I feel weird. There. Talking again about about serialization, when you you have that scarcity, and I think it's kind of been, and I'm gonna like put on my old man hat as I say this, mm-hmm. but when you didn't have access to absolutely everything, it was this idea that this thing could be on and then gone. Yeah. And so I would tape things off of TV and watch them over and over again. I have a, a tape that has old Transformers episodes and mm-hmm. Gem episodes with all the car- uh, all the commercials and everything. Oh yeah. And I now know the jingles to all the commercials as well as I know the show. Sure. Because again, like I think all the way through high school, if I was like just needed something on in the background, I would just put on my old Transformers tape. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's absolutely true. It's certainly the fact that stuff is available now all the time and that the paradigm for tv has changed so much has changed tv itself the fiction is becoming different than it used to be when you know there was no way of knowing what order you would watch stuff in and whether you'd ever seen an episode before and so changes you as a person because you tape stuff and you watch it all over again and everything feels kind of ephemeral and that also means that if you actually have it it feels very precious and on the other hand the thing that you actually had was meant to be more ephemeral was built for a different kind of consumption than tv is now because you you know netflix and you just turn it on and it doesn't matter you can rewatch or watch it all at once or anything like that there's a book it's actually quite an old book now um at the time it was an ch- amazing thing for me to read it's called everything bad is good for you it's by stephen johnson johnston yeah, yeah. stephen johnston i have a phd my graduate advisor was also stephen johnson's advisor and oh of course look at you cool kid <laughs> Yeah, no, so that's so I like that book. It's a good one. It's a good one. And I remember I, I was working in a Borders that also sold music and DVDs. And I remember when the, you'd see these things like the Dukes of Hazard or Elf and stuff would come out on DVD, like season one. Yeah. And no one would buy them. Or if they did, there was never a season two produced. Yeah. Because those things are not meant to hold up to that repeated consumption that you were just talking about. Right. I, I, I think that's it's super interesting, certainly as a media scholar, because although they weren't built for it, they were still doing all kinds of cultural work. And so when they were viewed, this has been a problem forever, which is that there is a kind of media that's viewed as like unimportant or ephemeral. I'm thinking of petty dreadfuls from back in the 19th century, mm-hmm. and then nobody nobody collects them. And then all of a sudden, everyone realizes that like, oh, this has actually become like a formative way that we understand fiction. I wish I had access to the roots of it. And it's like, no, we burn them all because they're all just advertisements. I was going to say, you're speaking my language uh, as someone who <laughs> loves comic books. Right, exactly, exactly. And that's been happening. It's been happening forever. It's been happening. I mean, it's in music, right? The idea that, like, folk music is just this random whatever. No one's going to record it. And now it's lost. And, like, oh, shoot, we really should have, like, gone, you know, and had recorded all the songs our grandmother's sung. It's been true with all kinds of written media. It's It's true on TV now where it's, very very hard to go back and watch some really formative tv shows i was just thinking about the show murphy brown which Mm -hmm. i love and which you cannot totally get streaming 
anywhere. And in fact, like one of the favorites on my browsers, like my browser, like my banks, you know, like most of the websites I visit, and then just an open Google search for Murphy Brown streaming, <laughs> which <laughs> one day, one day. I think especially Murphy Brown, because it was so topical. It, it has a very short shelf life for a lot of those references. Yeah, I think there's that. I think also they, they really screwed themselves because they used all of this great classic, really expensive music for their um, oh, opens. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's probably stuck in copyright hell somewhere. Yeah, I think I was talking with, about, with Camille about this, about how yeah. Daria ended up in the same trap by yeah. using lots of really current artists and having like real interstitial music. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you have to license all of those, and that's horrible. Yeah, which is another way that stuff just gets lost in this terrible, terrible place where you can't access it anymore. But there are all kinds of fascinating stuff that happened on Murphy Brown that's really interesting, and I would love to be able to link to when I'm writing pieces. And I can't because they don't exist. Like, the time (laughs) Murphy Brown, like, you know... The fact that she got pregnant and had a baby was such a big deal that Dukakis actually talked about it in real life as though she were a real person. And then they wrote it (laughs) into the show. Like, Michael Dukakis is talking about you, Murphy Brown. Like, what the hell? And she was like, I don't know either. Like, that, I want to be able to watch that legally and write about it. And and I can't. And it's very frustrating. Even even from a slightly less important point of view, every once in a while, I want to tell someone about that time on WKRP where they dropped a bunch of turkeys out of a helicopter. Oh, that that is on YouTube. You can link oh. that on YouTube. Yeah, but it's it's like literally someone holding their phone in front of a CRT <laughs> television. True. That's true. Oh, we've seen the same video. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys would fly. Yeah. <laughs> my dad still still references that every Thanksgiving. Now, how many Thanksgiving episodes do you hold dear to your heart? Are there are there like important Canadian Thanksgiving episodes? There really aren't because yeah. Thanksgiving is just like practice Christmas. You know, <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of practice Christmas here too, but yeah. But yeah, it doesn't have the same weight uh, that yeah. it does in the states. Like I remember like seeing Thanksgiving episodes as like these weird cultural artifacts, like kind of like Super Bowl episodes. Mhm. Yeah, where it's like, oh, we're gonna make the whole thing about oh, getting the particular type of dip or the right wings or whatever. Right, it's a Super Bowl party, and Ross and Joey realize that they can get out of any kind of food prep by pretending they're really into a game that they know nothing about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh god, even as late as like a How I Met Your Mother kind of thing, where it's like, yes. oh, you have to avoid the results until you get home, so you wear blinders throughout the day. Which really, God, it's a, such a seventies uh, <laughs> kind of yes, story sure. when you think of it. Earlier this week, I was talking about Disneyland episodes mm. and how it was like, oh, yeah, let's send the entire cast to Disneyland. And what stories can you tell? Full House had a Disneyland episode. Yeah, that was It a- did, yeah. Yeah. So did Roseanne. Oh, yeah. I think Roseanne had a couple, actually. Huh. I think I, I'll have to look that up. That would be interesting. If I recall correctly, I think in the, like there was one normal Disneyland episode. And then later, when the show went off the rails <gasps> and they made her a millionaire and whatever else. Uh, there was one where it was Die Hard on the monorail at Disneyland. Oh, okay. Yep. I can, I can, that's, it's ringing a vague bell. Yeah, but you're right. Like, the, certainly the Disneyland episode does not happen anymore. <laughs> oh, God, there, there was one recently where I, where I remember seeing it, and I'm like, this, what? This, this isn't happening. This is a throwback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the reason, one of the reasons that doesn't happen anymore is that we're all savvier 
viewers to that kind of thing. And so because because we watch stuff all together, it becomes really weird when it's like, oh, why suddenly am I watching an advertisement for Disneyland? I think also ABC has just gotten a lot cannier about the fact that it has so many bazillions of products that it doesn't actually need to promote by just sending people to Disneyland. Like it is a major conglomeration and it has plenty of other product placement that it can put in there to to promote its the rest of its business so speaking from a from a fan's point of view like i, w- I went to um tokyo disney sea which was amazing mm. and on the way in it was, this was only a couple of years ago on the way in looked at a poster and saw was it uh, buzz lightyear donald duck iron man elsa from frozen <laughs> uh, and r2d2 on the same poster and i went Oh my God, we are truly living in a golden age. Yes, it is. That sounds amazing. I don't know what product that is for, but I will buy it. I think it was one of the, it was either one of the parades or one of the yeah. like, show things where it was like, oh, you know, bring the kids to this. And I were looking, and I'm like, all of these things are the same. They're the same. It's like there's a, a there's a comic book a comic book series called Adventure Quest mm-hmm. where they're they're taking um, like Johnny Quest and all of these properties. And oh, and like a Prince Valiant and all the other things from the Hanna Barbera cartoons and comics, and having them have one big adventure. And coming up soon, there's going to be one where it's Transformers, GI Joe, Mask, Inhumanoids, and a whole bunch of other ones. Just like we're cramming all of this in into this grand comic book story, and it's like you know, chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah, isn't that weird though? I mean, at some point, what you're saying is that all of these things are taking place in the same universe, right? Yes, or rather this is an alternate universe, yeah. Right, right. Comics do all kinds of crazy alternate universes and threads and things that Mm. that TV, that's a brand new world that really only the the Marvel scape has sort of touched as far as TV is concerned. Yeah. Remind me, remind me to to send you pictures of the Wacky Races comic, which is basically Mad Max. Huh, interesting. It's um, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it just is really comics has have always had this freedom that I don't think any medium any other medium has, which is to say like let's just like rewrite the whole thing from the start and let's you know make this canon if it wasn't and let's just have them all hang out together in an alternate universe even though nothing about these worlds have ever been connected before. And I think it speaks to well, it's it's fundamentally about um about seriality, right? Because it, the idea is that all of these stories have been going on for so long and there is so much backstory and then different creators take the reins and there are different iterations of these same characters and audiences live with them for a really long time that it would be impossible for them all to make sense so suddenly you just give up the idea that they all make sense and you are you're living in like this strange free new world tv has not done that yet yeah i mean there's a couple of ways to approach that where it's like you can either be incredibly episodic where there you know everything reverts to status quo you can tell longer stories but it's funny you can actually tell which writers were reading comics when when they were kids Mm. because they'll will immediately try and revert to the true air quote true version of a character yeah because the true version is whatever one was on when you were a kid oh yeah absolutely and um, Elle Collins was saying on, on her podcast, which is also very good, where she talks about when you first pick up something like an X-Men comic, which is a serialized story that has been running since the late 60s. And it's like at a certain point you pick it up and you don't expect to know everything about it. Yeah. You, you're part of the social contract of picking up 
a comic book that's long running like that is that yeah there's going to be stuff that you don't understand but you read it for a bit and then you start to get those references because you've been reading long enough and that that's not a mindset that exists with media now yeah that's certainly not a mindset that exists with tv tv is still coming out of and when i was watching tv as a kid what little tv i was allowed to watch it was all coming out of a very episodic place i i didn't watch any soaps and there is something super comforting and logical and fascinating about fiction that is that formulaic. Um, mm-hmm. I watched a bunch of Full House. <laughs> like, I watched <laughs> Full House was a show that I watched before when I was still allowed to watch, like, when I was still allowed to watch TV almost every day for like half an hour while my parents were making dinner. It was Full House. And I would watch it. It was in syndication at that point. The like the new episodes were on after my bedtime. And so I would watch it in syndication Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 5 to 5.30. And they would kind of go in order and then they would skip. And I remember being like, what? What the hell was that? Like, I already <laughs> saw this episode. Why did we, what forced me to go back? And you would notice like watching it in that really rigid, stuck kind of way. You would notice all kinds of little things things like wait I thought you said last week like these glasses were a huge thing but now Stephanie's wearing these glasses and no one seems to care or like she got these glasses last week and like where did the glasses go there there are no glasses anymore (laughs) DJ has a love interest named Steve and like sometimes Steve would be there and sometimes he wouldn't and you would think like DJ I thought you and Steve were like going at it now and now I mean it just so Something about the really weird forced formularity of those shows really deeply triggered my brain to think about how storytelling works and what sorts of things do you notice and what actually makes a story work and the like weird closure. I like this is the weird thing about like me as a child. Like I was definitely. 10 and thinking about like man it's really weird that all the problems are always solved at the end of every episode (laughs) you you and dan Harmon. yeah no i mean it's like for some reason that has always been the thing that is most fascinating to me and so and it was really full house that did it my poor parents um had to listen (laughs) to that that theme song so many times as you as you were saying that i'm thinking back and i'm like i didn't think i had watched much full house and then i'm like no, I remember when DJ got an eating disorder. Yep. And I remember when they were trying to do a wedding and there was a casino involved. Yep. And it was a rush and, and uh, when Aunt Becky was pregnant. Oh, yeah. And yes, yeah, so it's... <laughs> yeah, no, that... So that was the plot. That was it for me. Where where I really, like, there was a tailspin and I remember, like, talking to my parents about what was going on. And it was that there was the episode where she told Uncle Jesse that she was pregnant and I was like, whoa, she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. And then she didn't by the end of the episode. And I thought, like, <laughs> wait, the contract has been violated. Because now, all of a sudden, we have this ongoing thing where for some small period of time, we're going to watch her be pregnant. And then for another period of time, there is going to be a baby. And, like, the structure of this show will have changed but everything else is going on as though they are just living in the twilight zone, like Groundhog Day. And truly, I remember going up to my parents after that episode and being like, she's pregnant. And then she didn't have the baby at the end of the episode. And my parents being like, please just eat dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I remember 
knowing that my friend Aaron Howard was allowed to stay up late enough to watch the like newer episodes and so I would ask her if they had aired the episode yet where Becky had had the baby <laughs> like I was oh boy yeah yep anyhow that that was really that was me and television as a child <laughs> I'm just picturing it like Becky having the baby is like bringing color to Pleasantville it really felt it really felt I remember seeing that episode being like oh my god now she's gonna now they had this baby and there was this of course incredibly dumb thing where like Uncle Jesse's appendix needed to come out the same day and they're like lying in hospital beds side by side oh god yeah <laughs> and then they like bring the twins home and they're twins and they swap oh, I forgot them they ac- were twins yep yeah yep they swap them accidentally of course and I I just remember watching those episodes and thinking this is a fundamentally different show now although of course it wasn't it they just brought the new babies in so that they could replace the michelle aesthetic from early from the beginning of the show we need another cute kid yeah What's cousin oliver doing these days exactly but i look i didn't have the internet then i had no way of knowing that that meme existed so i was just <laughs> See, I, I remember it, it from the from christy turning up on growing pains mm, yep Definitely. And I was just like, why Why is there this tiny curly-haired girl? Or, or, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio turning up and, like, living above the garage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess if I had been able to watch more TV, <laughs> if mm-hmm. I had been able to just have unlimited access, I would have had more examples in my head and it wouldn't have seemed so shocking. But it, it was, like, it was earth-shattering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So specifically when we, when we set up this episode, there was one topic that you put, you gave me kind of a flurry of ideas, and there was one I think that you had your heart set on. So Catherine, I'm, I'm going to get comfy. I'm going to prepare myself. Uh-huh. I'd like you to tell me about Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Yes. So. That, that was the hiss of victory I just yes. heard through the earphones. So there are lots of things about Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. For one, it was approved viewing because of a lot of things about it. If you don't know, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman is a show about a female doctor in 1867 who moves from Boston to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And the whole show is Dr. Mike Michaela Quinn. Oh, and she adopts three children because the her friend dies. So it's her being a single mother and a doctor to these three kids, or a mother to these three kids and a doctor to this town, and just trying to convince everyone that, like, I'm a female doctor, it's cool, and everyone else is like, This is 1867 in Colorado. It's not cool. So that was approved viewing for my my, for my mom, because like that whole idea that she was a strong woman and that, you know, she was really forging her way. My parents spent some time in Colorado, so they liked kind of the frontier landscape thing of it. It had a kind of Christian vibe, which was never really my family. But I remember them talking about it sometimes when we had to go to church with my grandmother. And I was like, wow, like everyone watches Dr. Quinn, which of course they did not. But they did in Kalamazoo, Michigan (laughs) in 1995. Like everyone watched Dr. Quinn. So I, even as a fairly young, like I would have been 10 or 11 at the time, I was really into you know, she's a woman and everyone thinks that she can't do it, but she can. And the idea that there was this feminist hero who was being a doctor and she was like digging bullet wounds out of guys legs and performing unanesthetized c-sections and um you know, you know, there were every other episode was some guy showing up 
because they called her Dr. Mike. And so there'd be somebody from out of town who was like, I thought you were a man. And she was like, well, I'm a woman. Deal with it. And then he would say, like, <laughs> you can't touch my man parts. And she would be like, well, die then. And inevitably, of course, she would have to step in or like they didn't come to her soon enough because they were they didn't like that she was a woman. And like now things are looking really bad. Yeah. Look, I could I could lance this boil on your butt or you could be known as one legged Bob for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. And like a couple of times it was one legged Bob. But I remember thinking like, <laughs> serves you right, Bob. Um, <laughs> so- Eat it, Bob. <laughs> So there was that whole that whole shtick, and and I loved that. I ate that up. Also, I've ju- I've just I've just googled Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman to get an idea of some of the character names, and I realized that I had combined the character of Byron Sully with Lorenzo Lamas in yeah. my head. Yes, they, yes, they okay. Have a similar look. Yes. So here's the other great thing about Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman. It was <laughs> very episodic internally, right? It was like a full housey type episode it was an hour long but it was that say like here's some problems like we're gonna deal with them but unlike on full house there was <laughs> there were more two-part episodes so it'd be more likely that you would watch at the end of one week and like she's jumping off a cliff and then the next episode it would resolve not not like really long serialized stories but but a couple more of those cliffhanger moments which oh my god those would drive i mean i was just I couldn't even handle myself when that kind of thing would would show up. <laughs> Memento Mori, Jane Seymour just jumped off a cliff. Yeah, like I, I mean, I would just talk about it endlessly, which also tells you why I read a lot of books in the library by myself during lunch in middle school. But, but the other thing was that she had, this was like my first will they, won't they relationship. This is Dr. Mike and Sully. And Sully was super hot and he had long hair and he was white. Like there's some racial stuff going on here. He was white, but he was he he was like really good friends with all of the Native American tribes and like they liked him and all of the there was like big tension between the town and the reservation. And Sully was like the one go-between. And so he also wore, you know, some not particularly Anglo clothing. And like that was like super exotic. And How how much fringe are we talking? We're talking a fair amount of fringe, also some beads. And (laughs) he had like one. Oh, and so his wife died in childbirth before Dr. Mike shows up in Colorado Springs. That's like pre-show canon. And he has like a one braid on in the front of his hair that when he and Dr. Oh, Mike finally get together he like cuts off anyhow the relationship between Sully and Dr. Mike like I I was all in and it was a classic young Catherine was in the tight I, I I I was classic <laughs> will they won't they where they would like tease little bits of it and I would get all excited and like they would kiss and there was like it was just a like a friendly kiss and I was like no it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> they do eventually get married, and that was a super big deal, and they have sex on a train. <laughs> but, but before then... Okay, was the train moving? Yes. Were they on top of the train? No, no, no. No. Oh, my God. It was so... Oh, it was, okay. That, that's It was exciting. super hot. No, they, like, rented out a train car, and Sully turned it into, like, a bedroom. So they just lived on a, like, in, like, a week <laughs> in this bedroom train thing. And I was I was all in. But even before then, I'm just picturing a Bon Jovi video on tracks. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Again, I think more brass brass headboards than a Bon Jovi video might have. More like bed skirts. But the even before that whole like wedding situation, the uh, super hottest episode 
was when we realized there was like tension, really big tension between the, the town and the Native American reservation, which there always was. And like, was there a character called Cloud Dancing on this show? Yes. Yes, there was. Well, to be fair, as I've just read, he was portrayed by an actual Native person. Yeah. This show actually was pretty solid, like 90s identity politics about it. About, I mean, it was not... Looking back, I'm sure we could find lots of things to pick apart, but um, if you were going to watch anything that did this sort of thing, like, Dr. Quinn was not a terrible choice. There was tensions, and so I think, like, Sully had gotten, he was sort of on the outs with both groups, but he also suffered from terrible migraines, and so there's this, like, scene with... And Dr. Mike's, like, trying to help him, and they're in this teepee together, and she's, like... She filled it with steam, and she's, like, rubbing his temples with willow bark or something. I don't remember. but it, Because aspirin. Yes. <laughs> and it was – I just remember watching that. Like, looking back now, I know that it was absolute peak fan fiction that was just getting written into that show by the writers because they knew that, like, there were people like me and I'm sure also grandmothers and everywhere who were going, like, yes, Dr. Mike, like – undo the corset (laughs) sully's got a you know he's got his shirt all his shirt was perpetually like slightly undone in the way of leather leather bound clothing everywhere (laughs) and and i remember looking at the way they shot that and like how intimate it was and i remember thinking like once again this show is not going to be able to be the same after this and like this is a fictional moment where they're going to have to shift from the previous status quo to a new one which they did and just find seeing that happen in front of you being so exciting and and knowing that the course of the series would have to change yeah it was just it was just the best just the best so did dr quinn like lead you on to any other hour-long 90s dramas because i feel like that could be a podcast in itself it was (laughs) a thing that was happening the the tbs afternoon hour-long drama yeah Yeah, there were definitely a bunch of hour-long dramas that I started to get into. Once again, because I wasn't allowed to watch a ton of stuff, I had to be really selective. During the summer, we had a little bit more leeway. So I watched a lot of Due South, that show with the Mountie. Oh, yes. Yes. That was a great one. (laughs) And his wolf, Diefenbaker. Diefenbaker, named after a prime minister. I couldn't believe that. It was a great show. Great show. Watch that one. That's some deep Canadian content. Yes. Yeah, I love I love some Canadian content, man. Um, I I also watched Early Edition. Oh, is that the one where the guy gets the newspaper that says what's going to happen that day? Yes, it's young Kyle Chandler gets the newspaper the next the day before, and then a cat delivers it. An orange cat delivers it, and <laughs> he has to decide like how he's got to try to like change the future. Fisher, Fisher Stevens is also involved. Uh, so I watched that. I watched, oh, I was really obsessed with a show called The Pretender. <gasps> My sister loved that show. Yeah. The premise of that one was a guy who was like a, that one was an early x files type where there was a big mythology that you would get hints of sometimes, but the actual week-to-week stuff tended to be pretty episodic. It was, it was up there with Strange Luck and Millennium. Right. Yeah, it would tended to be pretty, um, you know, you were like really waiting for those those mythology moments. Uh, X-Files was a little scary for me. Horror stuff has never been my favorite. I was aware of it. I wasn't really allowed to watch. I think that was one that, that I just didn't have 
space for. I'm sure I would have watched Buffy. Also, sure, I would have watched if I had had free reign. Um, Instead, by the time it was middle school and I had to really pick and choose because I had a lot of homework and my parents were trying to like, were were probably looking at my TV consumption and saying like, we should, we should really narrow this down. (laughs) So I really had to pick like one or two shows that I was completely obsessed with. Um, and so in middle school, they were Lois and Clark, the, the new, new adventures, adventures of Superman, Superman, and Babylon Five, and those oh yes, those were my those were my shows, particularly Babylon Five. So yeah, that that kind of you just you had to you had to commit, otherwise you would miss stuff, or you're just watching TV randomly, and like, what kind of sense does that make? God, who would do I that? Don't... Whereas um, my thing that I hung on to was that. For a certain period of my life, there were three episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation which, showing which on any weeknight. Which three? It would, no, no, it would never be particularly. Oh, I thought there were three you were obsessed with. There were definitely like a handful that I was obsessed with that I happened to see. But yes, sorry, keep going. No, what I meant was that because of the syndication, you'd get a new one at 7.30. <gasps> you would then flip over to, to halfway through another one on another channel. And then you get an old one at uh, at nine. Wow, that's like heaven. And so at, at any point, I could be watching three of them. Wow, that's really good. Whereas the original series, I feel like I watched the episode where they're in the mines and there's the Horta, which is the giant pizza-looking creature <laughs> that could melt people. Mm-hmm. And Spock has to mind meld with it and saying it's projecting its geode babies. I think any t- any time I would have turned on Star Trek the original series, it would always be Dweller in the Depths. It would always be that friggin' Horta episode. Isn't it so funny? I had that. We I'm sure everyone had that experience in like the pre DVD, pre DVR, pre Netflix mm-hmm. TV landscape, where like there was one show that you'd never seen except you'd seen one episode four times. <laughs> exactly. How did that happen? It really did, though. I don't know. Just it's like kismet. It's like, um, oh God, even just yesterday, because when, okay, Kimiko is going to kill me for telling this story, but I think <laughs> do it. there's a reason for stories like do this. It. Because anytime we do laundry, mm-hmm. at one point, she'll be like, okay, what do we want to do this load? Uh, I've got, you know, I've got socks and underwear. I've got like work shirts. What do you want to do? And I'll do, okay, let's do the, un- the socks and underwear one. And she's like, oh, you mean panties. Uh-huh. And she says it in this really weird way. <laughs> and she did it a bunch of times. And I'm like, what? What, what are you what, what are you doing? And then finally she has to explain, oh, there's this bit from that 70s show where there's a dream sequence uh-huh. where anytime Donna opens a drawer or a closet, like piles of panties will fly out. And at the end, uh, Eric looks at the camera and he goes, panties, glorious panties. Uh, and she tells me about it and she went looking on YouTube and couldn't find it. Months go by. Uh-huh. Almost our entire relationship goes by. Uh-huh. And then yesterday, uh, I was like, okay, we're just doing stuff around the house. I'll look on uh, Fox tells our cable subscription service over here and they have an on-demand section in their dvr where you can be like oh whole seasons of things yeah and i went went scrolling and scrolling and i'm like oh i'm in comedies oh hey that's 70s show and i pick a random episode (gasps) and it's the episode with the panties thing to the point where she comes in she goes oh let's turn this off and then like a pair of panties comes up she goes oh my god it's (laughs) this one and we had to sit down and watch the (laughs) entire episode that's great that's lovely I feel like we've lost that a little bit because so much TV is at our fingertips, but there was that amazing kismet thing that would happen where you would turn something on. It would be like, oh, this episode, and it would just really, it would really be the exact thing you wanted, and I, I think we've, we all missed that a little bit now. We've lost, we've lost some of that pure random chance. But on the other hand, for most shows, it didn't matter because it was just like 
another episode of Full House. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you do the Fuller House thing? Did you step into that minefield? I have seen only a couple episodes of Fuller House. I I don't know. It was weird. It was really weird to watch. I mean, I think I think the first episode does so many winking callbacks that it was really it felt awkward because it was just like watching somebody who you haven't seen in a million years and like you're a different person now and they are still doing all the same jokes and they like all the same bands and they are wearing all the same clothes and they're like telling you like hey remember how we used to hang out 15 years ago I'm I'm that same person like literally my shoes are the same like do you remember this conversation we had 15 years ago that's all I remember I have been in a tank since that it was just it's really it's it's upsetting to watch Actually, I think as the episodes go on, it gets a little bit more, it relaxes into itself a little bit. I'm not going to say it becomes a great show, but it, <laughs> it it doesn't become quite so self-obsessed as it is in that in that pilot episode. Man, it's a weird, bad, awful thing to watch, though. Weird, bad, awful thing to watch describes a lot of my Facebook relationships with people from when I was in high school. Yeah, so. no, that's, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, the important thing is it play is it lets the lady who was playing Stephanie, you know, she's got her teeth back now, and it's yes. nice, and she's Isn't getting paid, nice? and is in a better place. Good for you, Jody Sweeten. Good for you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and on that wonderful note, I think we'll wrap up and keeping an eye on the time. Excellent. So, Catherine, if people if people want to find you on the internet, where would they go? You can find me at Appointment Television is my podcast. You can find that at atvpodcast.com or we're on Twitter at atvpodcast. I do a lot of the tweeting for us, so you're, it's very easy to find me there. I also write for vulture.com and you can search for my name. Fairly recently, I wrote a piece about how all TV is too dark. I recommend that one because I got really angry and a lot of people got really angry at me and those are always the best. And and if you want to find me personally on Twitter, I am at KVanAren, at K-V-A-N-A-R-E-N. And I spend a lot of time in like little Twitter conversations with Margaret and Craig and Sophie Brookover and Andrew where we send gifts at each other. So if that sounds at all like something that you want to watch, then that's the place to find it. Also, watching Twitter when you guys are watching The Bachelor is actually better than watching The Bachelor. <laughs> Yep, The Bachelor's going to come back, and Nick Vile's going to be The Bachelor, and we're all going to do some Twitter yelling, so keep an eye out for that. Hey, you guys were the, the people who got me Meet Chad before it actually aired over here, so I was in the know. Oh, I'm, you're welcome. I, I'm so glad that you could bring Meet Chad to the masses before he arrived there himself. Ugh. <laughs> please, please tell me, you're, you're not doing Bachelor in Paradise, are you? I I had to recap an episode of Bachelor in Paradise, so oh, I, I did I did catch up on it. Um, it's over here now, though. We are in one of the rare moments where the Bachelor is actually not on television in any form. Um, so we're all taking just deep breaths and you know, like pulling up pictures of Emily Maynard and thinking like it was good, it was good once. So yeah. <laughs> I still stand by that Bachelor in Paradise is like Bachelor got hit in the head and forgot how to feel feelings. I feel fondness for the Bachelor in Paradise because it commits to how wacky it is. And the whole point of the Bachelor is so stilted that it's nice that they like they literally just say like, look, there's no more rules. We threw out all of the rules. Like, just get drunk. We'll film it. <laughs> yeah. P please hook up or we'll have to send you home. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And there's something, you know, really honest and authentic about that.
<laughs> Except for Kayla, because Kayla is a beautiful cinnamon bun and should be saved from this horror that is Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> I mean, if you feel that way, man, I think she's I think she's a Bachelor robot. But look, we all have our own opinions. <laughs> Again, I did just watch Ex Machina last night, uh-huh. so that does have a slightly creepy vibe to it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. My pleasure. and sweet and you're an immature loser with friends who are unreasonably violent you and i are kind of like castle and kate beckett and that i'm a total badass with extremely good looks and you tend to say the wrong thing in these stories we want to know will they or won't they but with us i know the answer we won't thank you very much to katherine van Arendonk for her time I had specifically wanted to try a Manhattan variant for this episode, so after some strenuous testing of a Saturday afternoon, and the help of my friend Olivia, who lives in New York, I was able to come up with this variation. In a shaker full of ice, combine two ounces of rye whiskey, half an ounce of Cointreau, half an ounce of dry Italian vermouth, and two shakes of Angostura bitters. Shake with ice and strain into a cocktail glass garnishing with a maraschino cherry. This combination breaks a lot of the rules of the Manhattan, where rye whiskey is normally paired with sweet vermouth, not dry, and Cointreau is nowhere near it. So I've decided to title it The Hoboken, because it's not quite Manhattan, but it's not Bensonhurst either. Enjoy. Emotional investment and time and money. This is going to end in an anticlimactic way. You and I are kind of like Mulder and Scully In that you're paranoid and even when you're right I look like the smart one You and I are kind of like Counselor Troy Whatever happened to predictability The milkman, the paperboy, the evening TV How did I get delivered here? Somebody tell me please Cause this old world is just really confusing me of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes go up every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on The Math of You, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. Fair warning, my Snapchat is mostly my dog, my cats, and things I'm about to eat. If you have a few dollars and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified. There you can get early access to new episodes, some great rewards, all for as little as a dollar a month. Also, I would really, really appreciate it. Also, my quest for more iTunes reviews continues, So if you go to the country of your choice on iTunes and leave a review, I'll read it out on the show and mention you by name. 
Next week, I'll be talking to Megan Nielsen, co-host of the Hard Times podcast and local Aquaman expert, on how My Chemical Romance shaped the better part of her adult life. Join me, won't you? Okay, so, um, oh wow, that got really deep all of a sudden. I think my microphone gets bored every now and again and takes it. Yeah, we have this problem with Margaret's microphone. Margaret's microphone constantly thinks that she's yelling too loud and then dials itself back down and then you have to tell it, like, no. See, I have the opposite where uh, I'll be quiet for a little while and then when I jump in to say something, I'll suddenly be clipping at the same volume and I'm just like, ah, oh God. <laughs> I think it, yeah. it's like, decide, it's like, I'm going to say it has a brain, and it goes, oh, he's quiet. He's probably talking, because, you know, Lucas is usually talking. So I'm going to just dial it up so that it just booms out of every orifice. I find it very upsetting when computers get to think that they know how loud I mm-hmm. should be. I determine how loud I am. Thank you, computer. You, computer, are not the boss of me. That's right. <laughs> That's this is right. made even weirder by the fact that I just watched Ex Machina last night. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. So some computers are the boss yes, of us. And if they had their way. And yes. they'll leave you locked in a basement, which... <laughs> Look, yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't have any problem with, like, the robot apocalypse eventually. I think, you know, I, I could imagine that happening and most of life running a lot more smoothly. But it feels like I want to wait until I can get a robot apocalypse where, like, everything works the way it's supposed to do and, like, my lightning cables aren't constantly breaking, <laughs> you know? And, like, a robot apocalypse where where software updates happen seamlessly in the background would also be nice. That, that yeah, Instead, we're going to get the PlayStation version, which is, uh, hey, would you like to download an update? Yes. Watch me download an update. You don't get to do anything else. <laughs> exactly. Now you get to sit here and wait for 10 minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant 10 hours. Yeah, it's the, uh, I've, been, I've been 15 minutes from finishing this download for three days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I froze. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're going to have to start this Oh, again. that's okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. There we go. Cool. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, anyway, robot apocalypse, like, sometime in the future, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Uh, well, that's the thing. is like, I, I think or if there is going to be a robot apocalypse, it'll be a little bit like Android saturation in the market, where it's everywhere, but how well it works depends wildly on who's using it and what they're using it on. So, I mean, you'll have your, mm. your was it Huawei uh, um, robots that are sold at supermarkets for moms to use, uh, and then you'll have sure. your fancy, like, Nexus 2s that will be top of the mm-hmm. line everything will work great and somewhere in the middle will be other people just like hoping that the next program works on their computer yeah i'm i am sure that the robot apocalypse well we'll see, i guess my hope for the robot apocalypse is that by the time it happens they're so smart that it actually is like the even social landscape that we want mm-hmm. it to be yeah. and they they figure out how to make you know utopia where we're all slaves to the robots but we're all equal slaves um one nation under bot (laughs) that's exactly right but i admit that your i admit that your um capitalist walmart version of robot apocalypse does seem more like it's it's one of those things like i remember watching the irobot movie with will smith and like looking at it and going that actually seems kind of cool and it makes him look like a jerk for not liking it 
It's like, true. I, I want it's a robot true. that can make a pie like my, my grandma did without having to, you know, have yeah. my grandma make a pie every single time I want it. Well, I want self-driving cars. I'm totally on board for the self-driving cars. Like, just show up at my house. I don't, I don't want to have to... I want to be able to play Pokemon while I drive. Like, I'll be honest, that would be a major inducement. Yeah, as, for me. as someone who is uh, a lifelong passenger, uh, I already po- play Pokemon Go while Kimiko drives. Uh, there, there are a lot of okay, good Pokemon. Okay, well, that's Poke- lucky yeah, for you. There's a lot of good Pokestops near her office. If I could do that and actually, like, you know, not be a burden on someone, then I am all for that. <laughs> Exactly. Also, cons- considering exactly. that, um, uh, in like tense driving situations, like you know, driving in the rain or like through mountain roads or whatever, where it seems kind of dangerous, my brain's response is to put me to sleep uh, because it's like mm. you're you're, uh-huh. you're not going to be able to handle this. You know, I should pr- I should probably just knock you out. It'll be better for both of us. <laughs> and and does whoever you're driving with find that really annoying because my husband constantly falls asleep <laughs> in any kind of passenger situation and it is the most obnoxious thing because you'll be talking with him and you're in the middle of a sentence and you look over and he's just like he's just solid gone see i'm sure you're i'm sure your husband is a dignified sleeper Ugh. but I, the minute you said that i just pictured the, the head back into the side mouth open that I mean, he's okay. It's okay. But, like, no one really is a dignified sleeper, <laughs> right? True. I mean, no one ever looks super together when they're unconscious, I, particularly when they're in any kind of passenger situation. Getting thrown around by no. anything. I actually blame my falling asleep in cars on my parents in that when I was really little, when I would cry, my dad would put me in the car seat and drive me around the block. And that would have mm-hmm. been it's the white noise of the yeah. engine would, would put me to sleep. And it got to the point where he mm-hmm. could uh, knock me out by running a hairdryer past me a few times. And so that, pa- yeah, yeah, that our- Pavlovian instinct has kicked in to the point where I would constantly fall asleep on the school bus. Yeah, our toddler is, I mean, we use white noise for her. Like, when you, soon we have, like, a machine, okay. and we turn it on when it's her bedtime. And, yeah, yeah, no, like, I get the white noise thing. I like white noise, too, when I'm sleeping. But cars, like, that's, no, you could die at any moment. Like, why, why are you awake? Or why aren't you awake? You need to, like, be able to, not that you, not, not, not that me being awake is going to help me brace myself in some kind of impact situation. But at least I would have been conscious for my last well, moment. Not with so, that attitude. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. 